This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that is turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Our first story is on community colleges and how they made $5.8 billion for the state of Colorado. After that, we have a story on Broomfield, which is going to vote on an oil bill. Then we have a story on the Senator Vicki Marble and her recent responses to a Cub Scout's questions. And finally, for local news, we have Fort Collins' opinion on the broadband initiative, which will be our roundtable for later in the show. Now on to national and global news. We have an update on the U.S. and Nigerian soldiers that were ambushed by ISIS in Niger. Then we move on to an update on the status of Puerto Rico. Our last national story is regarding a D.C. appeals court's decision on a teen abortion. We finally end our show with our bi-monthly segment on marijuana with Dylan Simonson, as well as our bi-weekly music segment with Haley Justino. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. Uh, I am joined by my other co-host, Julia Badalise. How are you doing? I am good, thanks. <laughs> and J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. How are you doing, J.D.? I am just super dandy. Awesome, awesome. Well, it is just us three in studio today. Um, I think we're going to start right off with uh, some local and uh, Fort Collins news, and I actually will start that one off. So Go for it. Community colleges, community colleges in the state of Colorado reportedly made $5.8 billion extra dollars for the state in the 2015-2016 fiscal year. This report comes from MZ, a leading provider of economic impact stories and labor market data to educational institutions, reports Monte Whaley of the Denver Post. The 13 community colleges statewide employ more than 100,000 jobs on their campuses. Whaley reports that the bulk of the money raised by community colleges stems from the alumni and graduates who stay in the state of Colorado after they graduate. 5.1 of the $5.8 billion generated comes from the graduates' salaries. The amount of the money generated by community colleges is equal to that of the transportation services and warehouse industries, according to the MZ report. Nancy McCallan of the Colorado Community College System president told the Denver Post that she is not surprised by the report, saying, quote, Our colleges create value in many ways and are important drivers of the state's economic vitality. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. $5 billion comes from community college. That's pretty... Uh, That's a large amount considering. I don't know. Yeah, but when you think about it, when it comes down from salaries, people staying in Colorado, it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Which is good. And, you know, you support community colleges. Anyways, we're going to send it over to... Uh, uh, Julia. Yeah, Julia. <laughs> uh, Fort Collins Senator Vicki Marble is under a decent amount of scrutiny this week after her response to a few questions asked by Cub Scouts in Broomfield. One scout earlier this month asked her about comments she made in 2013 about Mexican and, and African Americans. From the Coloradoan Saja Hindi reports that the topic in 2013 was on racial disparities and poverty, and her comments about health were relatively generalized, stating occurrences with, quote, sickle cell anemia and diabetes when talking about African Americans. With Mexicans, she proceeded to claim health issues could be contributed to the lack of that population as a whole's eating habits. When questioned about it this time, however, she denied the comments and asserted they were, quote, made up by the media and they were, quote, twisted by the PC or politically correct police. According to Christine Hauser from the New York Times, one of the Cub Scouts from Broomfield, 11-year-old Ames Mayfield, was said to be kicked out of his den after his after his questions, his mother told news sources. Hindi also reports that Mayfield prepared three questions, which had to do with gun control, in which he cited the Las Vegas shooting and a bipartisan bill Marvel supported that, quote, would allow domestic violence offenders to keep their guns. And he asked Marble, quote, why on earth would you want someone who beats their wife to have access to a gun? Mayfield also told Marble, quote, I was astonished that you blamed black people for poor health and poverty because of all the chicken and barbecue they eat. Marbles fired back that it was fake, arguing that Mayfield needed to, quote, get both sides of the story. Jess Paul from the Denver Post reports that back in 2013, Marbles stated diabetes and sickle cell anemia were, quote, part of the genetic makeup of blacks, but only before stating that she's, quote, never eaten better chicken or barbecue than when she was in the South. There was backlash from uh, then from those comments, and it is still a topic that is coming up today, five years later. After Mayfield has been kicked out of his den, uh, Ames's mother, Lori Mayfield, said she sat down with a den leader and that he expressed that he felt his questions were too, quote, politically charged. And that was the reason he was disinvited from the from the den. 
Paul also reports that Marvel stated that she did not blame Ames for his comments because she believes, quote, there was an element of manipulation involved. There's huh. so much going on in that story. Yeah, that, I, yeah, when we first initially read that, that was um, it was kind of mind-blowing. I know. <laughs> so much information. What do you think, J.D.? There's a lot of facial expressions going on over there. I was just like a, li- a little shock at her, at like her, like, push to generalize. I was like, oh, that's that's a little. Oh, yeah. I know. State senator, too. That's a little weird right there. And then we got that fake news coming in. Yeah. She's oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's, that sounds like you're not, you're talking the wrong, the wrong media. Like, we, we know she said this, right? Yes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. She's like, yeah, I'm actually not racist. <laughs> that's, that's fake news. It's like, well. Fake news. I think you've said things otherwise to that. Yeah. <laughs> of the contrary. And then it, it sucks the guy, the uh, 11-year-old just got kicked out of his den for that. Yeah, that seems a bit ridiculous right there. He was just asking questions. Yeah. well, and there Very was, intense questions. Yeah. Th- they were, it, I, there was a video of it that his mom posted online. Um, and he had two pages prepared of like wow. things to say to her as well as like questions um it who do you ought- think who, sorry uh, no go ahead i was gonna say who do you think prepared those questions him or his mom i mean that's a good question actually it, uh, how how old is he 11 11 11 hmm. Hmm. <laughs> i i don't think i knew anything about anything when i was 11 so i'm gonna maybe he's just like parents. yeah maybe he's grade, just the next einstein grade. though you never know hmm I don't think Einstein was politically involved at 11. I think he was thinking about math. You know what I mean, smart. Yeah, smart. Intelligent. Anywho, we're going to move on to another local story. Um, Broomfield City Council went to a vote two nights ago and chose to to approve an agreement to move forward with drilling new oil and gas wells within the county. The meeting went for seven hours and ended in a 6-4 vote. It was a controversial topic as more than 90 people voiced their opinion and the majority of the speakers were against the plan. Some of the controversy lies outside of the county because of how close the project is to other counties. James Grenard from J- Channel 7 in Denver reports that residents of Adams County were worried about this project because of its location, which lies just two blocks from the county line. The new project is said to have 84 new drilling wells and 65 of them will lie near the Adams County border. The plan also calls for the building of a pipeline instead of storage batteries and the removal of old and abandoned gas wells and storage facilities. The complaints have continued out of the city council as one Adams County commissioner calls the controversy, quote, a border battle. Some residents even went to the courts to try and stop or delay the vote. Two residents claim that the city violated the Colorado Sunshine Act and the Colorado Open Meetings Law. Grenard also reports that the city was tied up because oil and gas permits permits are issued by the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, and municipalities have only limited influence on energy operations within their borders. Councilman Mike Shelton said if the Broomfield didn't approve the agreement with extraction, the company could decide to forge ahead with its project according to less strict state rules that provide fewer restrictions for area residents. Quote, we're almost forced to say yes, and if we say no, we lose control, Shelton said. The Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission is scheduled to hold a hearing on the spacing of extractions proposed wells next week. Um, that's also another kind of uh, weird one. 65 out of the 84 for um, Broomfield County's wells will be on the Adams County line. That is kind of yeah. That, that's a that would cause some uproar. I feel bit a bit sketchy. Is this is it just like traditional drilling or is it like fracking? Um, just uh, 84 new drilling wells, so I'm imagining that it's probably more fracking, right? I I'm, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not a huge oil guy, but yeah. um, don't don't read up on your oil yeah. stories every day. Yeah, dive in too deep into uh, the story beyond that. But like, if it's fracking, I can definitely under, understand the concerns with yeah. um for Adams County because it's like that has like the potential to introduce a bunch of uh, chemicals into your like your water supply. Yeah, yeah well, especially because like they're moving forward with the the pipeline idea as opposed right. to you know the the wells and the you know, the barrels and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's another interesting story to keep an eye out on. Uh, we're gonna move over to uh, the broadband controversy that's kind of going on here in Fort Collins. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna send that over to you, JD. Yeah, this is actually our, our, our Rocky Mountain review too. So. Yes, this is our roundtable. Yeah, uh, a, a Rocky is, Mountain Review. This is just in case you were listening. This yeah, is, that's the show that we're on. Yeah, no, it's it's a roundtable. I, ain't, oh man, <laughs> yeah, what a day. 
There are new financial developments in the city of Fort Collins' bequest to provide citywide broadband internet service in the future. According to the city of Fort Collins' website, the city council has included a broadband-related ballot question for the November 7, 2017 ballot. The measure is aimed toward providing voters with a voice regarding what the future of high-speed, next-generation broadband may look like for the Fort Collins community. The ballot measure asks whether voters support the city council adding telecommunications slash broadband services to the city's electric utility, issuing securities and other debt to not exceed $150 million, establishing a governance structure for matters relating to competition, as well as detailing city council's authority on power to a board and or commission. The city is careful to emphasize that this does not necessarily mean the city would provide municipal retail broadband or that a third-party internet service provider would offer the service, only that it would provide the city council with additional information as it makes its decision moving forward. Opponents to the ballot issue now reportedly have nearly 20 times the amount of financial support for campaigning as compared to the supporters of the measure. Kevin Dugan of the Coloradan wrote, who wrote Priorities First Fort Collins, which opposes Question 2B on the November 7th ballot, received $201,000 in donations between October 16th and 22nd, according to a campaign finance report filed Tuesday with the city clerk's office. Additionally, the Colorado Cable Telecommunications Association has reportedly contributed $125,000 while Citizens for a... Oh man, I don't have the second part of the story. Citizens for a Sustainable <laughs> Economy, a nonprofit associated with the Fort Collins Area Chamber of Commerce, has donated $75,000, and the Colorado Telecommunications Association donated $1,000. And now we're going to flip it back over to JD because I just took over halfway. <laughs> According to the Colorado and Fort Collins Citizens Broadband Committee, a supporter of the ballot measure received 1330 in contributions during the reporting period. And in its initial campaign finance report, which was filed on October 16th, the committee reported receiving $9,952, $6,228 of which has been spent on printing. In terms of spending, Priorities First Fort Collins repeatedly spent $195,000 as of Sunday, with $124,000 split between television and radio advertising, and $66,000 going towards ad production and mailers. These massive expenditures are nothing when compared to the $150 million that residents could become responsible for if the city's broadband system fails. Sarah Hunt of Priorities First Fort Collins told the Coloradan, Still, the amount of money being spent to protect big cable companies has proven jarring to community members and particularly with the ranks of active supporters of the measure. Various ballot drop-off locations have been established throughout Larimer County for the November 7th election, and officials caution voters who have chosen to mail ballots should do so by October 31st. I apologize. I uh, thought I had the yeah. second part, and it was just not there. That's no, okay. Nah, man. I had that show. Remember that one show where I was like, where are all of my papers? Yeah, who knows? No. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but it was yeah. also a mouthful. There were lots of enormous sums of money being uh, sort of pushed <laughs> Or, uh, on one side particularly yeah. yeah i wonder where that's coming from i wonder where yeah but uh <laughs> like we said earlier this is our roundtable segment uh if you guys want to call or text in about this issue because it is a pretty uh popular issue here in fort collins uh call or text 970-491-5278 again you that number is 970-491-KCSU <laughs> yeah i thought it was like 591 so i didn't want to mess it up You're, but it's 491 it is jd's head was in the way i apologize for that <laughs> Um, and I think we're going to move now, on to national and global news. Yes, right. I got that first story. So um, there you go, Sarah Mc uh, Mc. Wow, we're starting off well today. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah McCammon of NPR reports a Washington D.C. federal appeals court ruled on a controversial teenage uh, abortion case. The court ruled in favor of the teenager who was seeking an abortion and was in the country illegally. This 17-year-old is from Central America. The Trump administration blocked the girl from obtaining an abortion. Um, Manny Fernandez of the New York Times reports that the federal appeals court in Washington made the decision Tuesday and sent the case back to a lower court and ordered the Trump administration to allow the girl to get the abortion. And then this would be promptly and this would be done promptly and without delay. Fernandez reports that the girl was apparently trying to enter the country illegally without parents or relatives, and she was taken into federal custody at the border in Texas. She is currently in custody at Brownsville, a federally funded shelter 
shelter at the tip of South Texas. Fernandez reports Bridget Amiri, the leader lawyer on the case for the American Civil Liberties Union and representing the girls, said, quote, it is the perfect storm between abortion and immigration, and the Trump administration has shown absolute hostility to both of those issues. McCammon uh, reports Judge Patricia Millay of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit said in the concurring opinion that teenager uh, that the teenager had all the requirements satisfied under Texas law to obtain the abortion. Malay said in response to the Trump administration's efforts that, quote, the government bulldozed over constitution lines. McCammon uh, reports Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richards responded to the ruling, she, um, saying she was concerned by the current administration's attempt to restrict access to birth control and abortion. She said the case illustrates, quote, the danger of having ideologies, uh, ideologues uh, running the federal government. Fernandez reports that under Texas law, any minor who wants an abortion must either receive their parents' permission or permission from a judge. Um, abortion has been banned in, um, and since the abortion has been banned in the girl's Central American country, she was found here in the U.S. According to uh, Giula Afiun of the Texas Tribune, um, she reports that it's unclear when the girl will be able to have her abortion. Afiun reports Bridget Amiri, a senior staff attorney with the ACLU Reproductive Freedom Project, says the ACLU is making arrangements to set up an appointment for the girl with the uh, with a health care provider in the Rio Grande Valley, and the federal government still can appeal to the Supreme Court. <clears throat> this story was written by one of our reporters, Joe Green. Yeah, that's uh, another <laughs> crazy one. Well, it's just, it's just weird. I feel like I'm, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that it's even, that there's even the possibility of it getting like going to the Supreme court. Like, hmm. I don't know. I think the 17 quote, year old. I, yeah. I think the yeah. quote by the judge, Patricia Millette though, yeah. the government bulldozed over constitutional lines. I think that's pretty bold comment. That's a, I feel like bulldoze is might, might be the wrong adjective to use there. That is an exceptionally aggressive term. It is. That was an aggressive quote, wasn't it? That's the only thing that popped out on the quote side of things. On the Anyways, quote side the of quote things. Side. <laughs> uh, we're going to move over to JD, and we're going to talk a little bit about the status of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico still lies devastated from the effects of Hurricane Maria, which left substantial parts of the island powerless. But recent relief efforts from Tesla are aiming to remedy that, reports Bill Chapel of NPR. Tesla has successfully returned reliable power to the San Juan Children's Hospital, through its use of solar panels and battery storage mechanisms. According to Chapel, Tesla founder Elon Musk tweeted out that this was just the first of many solar projects, solar and battery projects Tesla is undergoing in the ravaged Puerto Rico. This is a small victory in the monumental task of restoring, of restoring power to the island, and it is expected to be a $5 billion investment to restore power completely. However, a $300 million contract with Whitehall to restore the island's electrical grid has been signed. A lack of power is just one of the many hurdles Puerto Rico is facing while rebuilding. Another, another is that Hurricane Maria has left many Puerto Rican animal shelters severely overcrowded, reports Karen Morfitt of CBS Denver. Nearly 100 of these dogs have been brought to Colorado animal shelters as an act of goodwill and to alleviate pressure on the Puerto Rican shelters. Six shelters in Colorado, including the Larimer County Humane Society, are taking in these hurricane-affected animals and are giving them the necessary medical attention and vaccinations they need to be good, healthy pets. According to Morfit, many of these animals were simply abandoned in the chaos and aftermath of the hurricane. Oh, yeah, well, so sad. <laughs> at least they're uh, at least they're coming stateside, so they get better attention. So what I got from that is that Tesla is a uh, five billion dollar investment for that and then there's another 300 million dollar contract with whitehall is that a person or is that a contracting uh, company? so whitehall is a contracting company that uh the u.s government uh has signed over to help uh develop the electrical grid and uh it's it'll be five billion dollars to restore power completely to the island oh okay All tesla right. hasn't committed that okay and they're just doing the <laughs> okay cool good story there jd um I'm glad those dogs are happy and okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good place to come. Fort Collins, take care of our animals. True. Uh, Julia, final yep. story. Yep, final story. Uh, details surrounding a military operation in Niger in which four American soldiers were killed have been released over the last few days. 
According to a statement given by Chair of Joint Chiefs General Joseph Dunford Jr., the attack came on October 3rd during a a reconnaissance mission with both Nigerian and American troops. Dunford said that, quote, the assessment by our leaders on the ground at that time was that contact with enemy force was unlikely. According to a CBS report, this particular mission had likely been going on for around 24 hours. CBS reports that the 12 American and 30 Nigerian troops were sent to the village of Tongo Tongo to meet with village elders about the recruitment efforts of a local militiaman named Adnan al Saro. They may have also been searching for a wanted terrorist. Officials report that they were then delayed by villagers and diverted from their planned route for an unknown reason. It was at this time when the troops were ambushed by 50 enemy fighters. During the firefight, two U.S. soldiers were injured and Staff Sergeants Dustin Wright, Brian Black, and Jeremiah Johnson were killed and immediately evacuated, according to Dunford and a Washington Post article by Ellie Rosenbush and Christine Phillips. Sergeant Lad David Johnson was separated from the group and his body was recovered by Nigerian soldiers 48 hours later, according to CBS News. The presence of American troops comes as an effort by 800 U.S. soldiers to advise and assist Niger in the fight against ISIS and other similar chariot groups in the region, says CBS. Many details about the ambush are still under investigation, including whether or not the assailants were legitimate members of ISIS. Both General Dunford and White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders assure that more information will be released. Dunford saying that both the American people and the families of the fallen are owed more answers. And this story was written by Raven Culler. <sighs> we were just talking about... Um, Law David Johnson, the one who was um, yeah. What, left. what was that before? Well, yeah. So he was left. There, he was the one that was left there for forty eight hours, and he there was like a whole controversy uh, with his um, his wife um, and President oh, Trump because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the one where. Yep, um, that's how it sounds familiar. Okay, I didn't even finish what I was saying, and sorry because she, she got um she was upset with Trump for his response when he called her, and he made her cry. Yeah, I mean, what did he say? He knew what he was signing up for. Yeah, that was Just, a ridiculous. A little ridiculous to yeah. say that to someone, especially well, when they just lost someone. And right, she yeah. has like I mean, three children. Like that doesn't even seem like like proper protocol by any stretch of the imagination. Like when you and she, and he, she said that he uh, didn't know his name. Like he was like fumbling for it. Yeah. Like, it just seems like a, a, a poor way to phrase it. It's like we are like deeply saddened by his loss or like something like that would have been substantially better and not controversial in like the least. But sounds like you should be making the calls, J.D. Put me in for put president. Him in. Put him in, coach. Put me, put me in for president. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you're about 15 years off. <laughs> Uh, That's going to conclude our local, national, and global news. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to jump into our roundtable discussion uh, next when we get back. Uh, Yeah, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. Uh, I'm joined in studio by my other co-host, Julia Batalise. And our other co-host. <laughs> and our other, and, and my other, I suppose yeah. is the word. Um, and then we have our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton, who's always in here, but he doesn't live here, despite live popular here, belief. Despite his catchphrase. Um, yeah. <laughs> and of course, we have Haley <laughs> Condelario, as per usual, uh, news director over at the Collegian. Hello. She, hey, how's it going? I can't see you, but it's I, okay. I believe that you were smiling at me. I yeah. Bu- <laughs> I believe you're here. (laughs) I can hear Um, her. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the broadband initiative in Fort Collins today for Roundtable. Just wanted to remind any of our listeners, if you're interested in getting involved in the conversation, you can always call or text in to 970-491-5278. Didn't you have to look at the whiteboard, huh? No, you did not. Wow, that is impressive. That was impressive. That was impressive. <laughs> Me and Gabe would be just staring at that. I, I know the number. I just, I, yeah, I thought it was a five. I, I know don't. the numbers. Yeah, okay. I mean, apparently I, I not. But. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to the discussion. Yeah, so basically, um, I think all of our listeners out there might be a little familiar with it. It's just essentially a vote that's happening on November 7th uh, at City Council, um, pretty much for uh, a municipal-run uh, broadband network. Um I'm just going to go around the, the room and um, just kind of say, do you think that um, the network that we have provided in Fort Collins 
which is roughly about uh, 10 mega, megabits per second, I believe is, is what it was. Um, do you think that's sufficient enough for Fort Collins, or do you think that we need a municipal-run uh, broadband? JD, looks like you got something to say. Uh, I th- Colorado has um, above-average internet speeds when it comes to the U.S., but I think given uh, Fort Collins' growth and uh, it's sort of it, it has like a lot of tech-based industry, like there's what HP here. Uh, we have uh, in, Nvidia or something like that. They, Maybe they have, Amazon may- two headquarters. Yeah, <laughs> no. So it's like we are are growing in in that sense, and we should probably future proof ourselves for internet in in that capacity and uh, maybe maybe the state's not the best way to do that but it also sort of putting that on the forefront of uh, like people's minds is is i think important um which I, the vote is it's not necessarily like oh yeah we're gonna go put this in yeah right that's now. important it's, it's that's just important to state um the it's city the council to, yeah. feeling out where it is but the one thing i don't particularly like is uh the pushback from the the relative oligopoly of uh, ISPs in uh, in Colorado they've mm-hmm. they've put a lot of money into just kind of you know trashing like a, a relatively small well maybe not small or trashing but they're they're, they're putting a lot of money into uh, against it and that seems a bit yeah. ridiculous and, and one sided it 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 almost seems unfair mm-hmm. Haley yeah I kind of. I don't know. I think there's still a lot that we could do with it. I think kind of going back to your point of like, it's just when city council votes votes on it, it's just kind of going to be like a trial run of the whole thing. It's not like we're fully going into this system or like this new broadband initiative. Um, I don't know. I think, I think with how Fort Collins is growing so quickly, it's probably good that the city's looking into like these new, like broadband initiatives i know that it's like a big issue on the campus at least with like student government because i know that last year when they were all campaigning um that was something that one of the campaigns had brought up is like broadband initiative and like wi-fi on just campus and everything so and they i think they're recently they've been talking about like supporting it i think last night they said that they would support it so Hmm. yeah i think it's just your viewpoint on uh net neutrality as a whole um, but Colorado is one of the one of 23 states that um, that has laws preventing municipally owned uh, broadband networks. But you can't have a ballot like Fort Collins is having, and you can't override that law. Uh, you know, Longmont, just right down the road, in 2015, um, did the same vote, and they in- implemented, I think, 130 homes of the 540 registered uh, when it initially came out, and it said that you could download HD uh, quality movies in under 30 seconds. So there is there is benefits to it. Um, and going back to that Colorado Cable Telecommunications Association, they're putting two hundred thousand dollars for Fort Collins. They spent th- over three hundred thousand for the Longmont issue. So they are dishing out huge amounts of money to make sure that municipal-run broadband networks are not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it seems like they're trying to stomp this out at the grassroots re- level rather than like uh, before it, it becomes something that's more prevalent mm-hmm. and. Uh, from their point, I can definitely see it as like, oh yeah, your this state is probably trying to offer this maybe lower uh, price product in comparison to undercut your business. So it's like it's it's very threatening, but at the same point, it, it seems like they're just they're they're almost competing unfairly, mm-hmm. and uh, they're using their economies of scale to their advantage instead of the you know the state trying to provide a a, a product that supports its uh, uh, popples. Mm-hmm. I went to a uh, a city council meeting about two weeks ago for a class assignment that I had to do, but um, they talked about this issue uh, extensively there, actually, and Councilwoman Stevens is uh, the biggest um, uh, component or uh, advocate. Yeah, sorry, advocate (laughs) for for the broadband, and this gentleman brought up the the fact that uh, broadband is not an issue of, um, like, competitive factors, but it's more of a safety issue uh, because he was saying that police can't, um, they don't have service out in like the rural areas of Larimer County to call people in. People who live out there don't have the resources to um, talk to, like get on the internet because their Wi-Fi sucks so bad out there. So I see that aspect of it. Um, I, I just think that for $300,000 for a Longmont uh, ballot vote and $200,000 for a Fort Collins vote is That's pretty... Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much saying that they don't want this to happen. That's half a million dollars invested into denying this. In... in two counties in northern Colorado where the population, I mean, the population is large up here, but it's not, 
It's not Denver. It's not Colorado yeah. Springs. We're the we're the front range. We're sort of on the back burners of people's mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I I think the the biggest opposition to it is that uh, it's a hundred and fifty million dollar uh, proposal, and it's pretty much all uh, going to be generated by us. It's subscription fees. So I think that's where the worry comes in. Like, are we going to be able to pay this hundred and fifty million dollars back through the utility bonds because can we all subscribe to this? Is it worth it? Um, I mean, you know, we already have internet now. Like, what's the big deal? Um, but like I said, I think it's just your view on net neutrality as a whole. What, what do you What do you mean by that? What do you, I mean? Like, do you think that um, people like Verizon and AT and T should have the majority or the, like the majority hold of the internet, where you have to go through ISPs as opposed to municipal run broadband, where do you think that there should be a fast lane on the internet? You pay more, you get better uh, service. I think everybody's against that, but I think the ISPs, um, like 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 in Colorado, what is it? Comcast is probably the largest internet provider. If, like, if I had to guess, probably or CenturyLink. Like they mm-hmm. obviously don't want us to have a Fort Collins run internet service. Yeah, I, I think for me, it just seems like the, those businesses feel like they're they're threatened by this uh, addition to this because they've definitely enjoyed the luxury. Because it's it's difficult to build an internet service provider or like telecommunications provider. Like that's that isn't like an almost insurmountable cost to sort of overcome if you're just trying to start up. So uh, adding another competitor to the industry is, I think it kind of terrifies them because they've, they've sort of dominated it for so long. And and for me, if I feel like if the city could provide uh, like quality enough internet, I would probably switch to them in comparison to like Comcast or something. I play, yeah. I pay a lot of money for a lot of money, you know, <laughs> what should be relatively fast internet and at times I'm definitely let down. And uh, if, if for cons utilities can provide a, uh, a substantially better service than, you know, they've, they've got, they've got me, man. They've got me, man. What about you, Haley? Uh, I don't know. I think my biggest, I think it goes back to like financing it is like, it's, it's a pretty big price tag just to try it out. So that's just my concern is, like, how is the city going to fund it? Um, I know that a lot of people have concerns with, like, how the city is going to fund everything. But I do agree that, like, um, it has seemed to work out pretty well in Longmont. It could probably work out pretty well here. I think it's just, you know, I know that, like, in in talking to council members in the past, like, they're really really kind of conservative with like what they spend their money on so it's great to hear that uh councilwoman stevens is like a big proponent of of having this but i mean i know that i mean i've talked with like mayor troxel i've talked with bob overbeck uh ross kind of all the people that are on that um so i just know that they're in talking with them about budget stuff they're like very very conservative on what they spend and how they spend it yeah and you know like we said this is kind of the votes more of a conversation starter than it is Mm -hmm. we're going to start putting up um cell phone towers all over fort collins right which i I think is is good i think it definitely sort of probes the waters and and really really gets what uh like fort collins wants and I, i think that's a demonstration of like the the city council is definitely engaged in giving fort collins what fort collins actually wants mm-hmm. um, which is another reason why i don't like the uh, half a million dollar investment from that it, it seems like it's sort of denying the people like what is. what we want mm-hmm. and, rather than not yeah i think a municipal owned broadband is just for the service of the people who live here as opposed to the the trying to make money off of it like you know right, telecommunication yeah, the, companies are so um yeah, if you're if you're interested in this issue, uh, November seventh is the vote. Um, I would encourage you to go to City Council or do the mail-in by Halloween, right? You said October thirty yep, first. October thirty first is the day. The so you know you have a couple more days to mail that in. Uh, you got another couple weeks to uh, go in and vote. So just do some research on it. Uh, anybody else got any um, any little tidbits? No, but it, I mean, if at least not for me. But if you if you want to call or text in any. Um, any of your thoughts from that discussion, make sure to te- call or text into 970-491-5278. Um, we'll, leave, we'll still read through them even if, uh, you know, we're not talking about it. Yeah, even if we're not <laughs> talking about it. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, November That's about 7th. It. <laughs> November, no, 7th. November 7th. November 7th. <laughs> it's soon. It is soon. 
Um, so yeah, I think we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. We're going to come back and we're going to jump into our a, um, pot talk discussion with pot. Dylan Simonson. Yes, we got the uh, marijuana segment, the music segment, as well as, of course, weather. And oh sports. man, where would we be and without sports. weather? Where would oh. we be? There's a lot of things going on after this, so um, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson, uh, joined by my other co-host, Dewey Badalese. And your other co-host, I'm going to keep we'll making We'll figure that out. Joke. We're going to make a script, and we're going to figure that out. <laughs> and our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton, is in here. Hello, I live here. Oh, God, what a catchphrase. <laughs> and joining us in studio is Dylan Simonson. Hey, what's Simonson, up? Simonson, correct? Yes. yes. Yep. Okay, cool. I didn't butcher that one. Uh, we have our uh, um, bi-monthly uh, pot talk segment. Yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, you want to ex- kind of just um, start off and yeah. just kind of jump right into, into it? Definitely. Um, so today we're going to be talking about edibles. Um, edibles are a way to take marijuana without having to inhale smoke. A lot of people know this. Um, they're normally associated with the classic special brownies or pot brownies. Um, these days, however, edibles come in a number of different forms. And depending on the form, the way you absorb the THC will be different and give you a different high. Um so THC can be absorbed in two ways, um, through an oral uptake and through a gastrointestinal, gastrointestinal up, uptake. Sorry about that. Um, with the oral uptake, you absorb the THC through your saliva, and then it enters your bloodstream. Uh, this type of edible produces a quick and intense high that's short-lasting and often feels more uplifting than other edibles. You'll want to do stuff more, be more alert. Um Edibles that have an oral uptake include sprays, tinctures, and some candies, not all of them. Uh, the other absorption method, the gastro- gastrointestinal, um, it takes a while for the that to kick in, um, at minimum of 30 minutes to a maximum of a couple hours at the very latest, but normally it only takes about, about an hour. Um, this high is often super sedative and heavy feeling. Um, these edibles take on more of a traditional form like the brownies and cookies and other things like that um there are edibles that do both however um specifically marijuana beverages which are some of my favorite edibles um they have both the oral and gastrointestinal intestinal uptake so you get both that quick onset high and that later one that's going to be more sedative um these drinks are often absorbed easier into your system uh, due to their liquid form, and they're typically found in lower, lower milligrams, but do come in uh, dosages of up to about 200 milligrams. Um, so for beginners, it's suggested to only use about 5 to 10 milligrams to get high uh, if you do decide to you know, take edibles, um, but you can increase the dosage as you become more experienced. Um, Weight isn't a huge factor on how high you're going to get or how much you should take, but it does take a small, you know, you have to take it into consideration. So if you're a super tiny person, you don't want to be taking uh, the max amount that you can. Mm -hmm. So uh, just do whatever you feel comfortable and best with. Um, More of an important factor is staying hydrated and making sure you have ate something before consuming edibles. That'll help you to not get too high. Yeah, because that's a qu- that's a question I actually had for you. Um, I was reading, and it said that um, it's kind of the opposite of alcohol. You kind of want to have a good base in your system getting mm-hmm. um, before you consume alcohol. But when you consume edibles in a uh, digestible form, you want to make sure you eat, uh, eat something and then eat edibles, like not eat edibles on an empty stomach, because it will often uh, kind of impair your high and make you feel yeah a it'll, lot different. It'll make you a lot more anxious. It'll like you'll feel different in your body it's not going to be a comfortable time mm-hmm. normally um but so yeah you want to make sure you stay hydrated eat something before and make sure you have non-medicated snack items as well obviously non-medicated <laughs> snack items. so when you talk when you say like there's two different ways the oral and the in in gastrointestinal 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 um 
when because obviously when you eat an edible or drink an edible, it's all going through orally. So mm. the difference would be like orally is more of like a mint getting like uh, yeah, it's uh, like, like with your saliva as opposed you, to like your liver or your stomach. Kind yeah, of exactly. Your food. Exactly. Um, one way it is going to be more like the mint, like you said, you know, because um, a lot of times it's more of a like coating on like candies or something like that, whereas like. With a cookie, it's baked straight into mm -hmm. there. You're going to have to break it down and um, digest it before it's absorbed into your bloodstream. So, so when it comes to drinks, is that is that gastronal or is that just oral? Drinks are both. And both that's are the, both. That's the great part about drinks. Um, normally, like within a minute after you drink some of the drink, you'll start feeling the effects from the oral uptake. And uh, that'll last probably like, you know... 20-ish minutes, mm -hmm. uh, 30 minutes, um, not too long. And then after a while, the gastrointestinal high will hit you and it'll be a lot more sedating and heavier. So so is that why a majority of like drinks um, at dispensaries are only 10 milligrams because it is yeah. so different? Yeah, it is a lot different. Um, it's a higher absorption rate in a liquid than it is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just a regular edible. Um, so yeah, often you'll only see them at like 10, 50 milligrams, um, on medical side, you can see them up to 200 and that's normally what I end up drinking is that entire thing, but mm -hmm. don't go off what I do. <laughs> um, so you have to use like a, a concentrator oil to like cook in or infuse with edibles, right? You can't just throw mm -hmm. some flour in there and like uh, expect it to cook. It has to kind of like break down. Yeah. Um, there's this thing called decarboxylating that you need to do to either your wax or your flour. Um, and that basically activates the THC, so it can be useful. Other because if you just throw flour into like your cookies, you're just wasting uh, perfectly good smokables. Mm -hmm. So um, you won't get high from that. And like uh, you know, a big opposing component of edibles is that they're not technically regulated because marijuana is like illegal federally. Mm, yeah. um, you know, I, I know the cannabis industry is like moving towards like stricter regulations on consistency of mm. edibles. Um, do you know if Colorado has some of those guidelines in place? Because it said that not all states that have legalized weed have those guidelines. Yeah, um, actually, Colorado just put in a new law into effect recently um, stating that you can't call uh, candy, you can't call candy candy, basically, yeah. anymore. It can't be in... It has to be in square shapes now for gummies. Yes, okay. uh, circular, square, yeah. like just, you know, geometrical shapes. It can't be in the shapes of characters, you know people anything like that um can't represent any like current type of candies now like back in the day there used to be things that you know would basically recreate the reese's logo and it yeah. would be a reese's peanut butter cup but now that's not allowed so jd i i, I guess i thought they had uh, made made gummies illegal in colorado but i, I guess not according to that yeah There's no not quite yet like um, they, was... and and this was to deter children from eating them and yeah, essentially exactly. getting way too high yeah exactly it's to deter deter the children from thinking hey mom and dad have this special stash of candy back here deter, i should deter I the they got they got that jazz candy yeah <laughs> the jazz candy yeah. i like that uh, um, um yeah go ahead yeah and then the state of colorado defines one dose of an edible as 10 milligrams so you know you buy a 100 milligram chocolate bar that the state defines that as 10 doses, 10 but doses. you can, you know, dose that however you want. I'd eat the whole thing. You mm -hmm. probably shouldn't. <laughs> I have a really high edible tolerance, so, like, just keep that in mind. That yeah, like a wild and I saw experience. I saw that, um, like, one, like one 10 milligram, one dose is, like, equivalent to, like, one beer for somebody who doesn't drink either. Yeah. So it's kind of, like, equivalent. Like, however you feel after drinking one beer is typically mm. how you'll feel after 10 milligrams. Yeah, something about that, um, around that, like, and this is... Uh, for those who aren't used to consuming, um, for a regular consumer, you know, I'd suggest probably somewhere more along like 40 or 50 milligrams. Mm -hmm. um, especially because uh, even if you do smoke on the regular basis, an edible is still going to be a little different for you. So you have to take that into consideration too. So, um, Just last question. Uh, when it comes to edibles, is there a major difference between sativa, indica, and hybrid uh, edibles, like as like as it is when you smoke marijuana? Or um, you can get edibles in sativa, hybrid, or indica. The one that comes to mind is a uh, chibachu, but in, at least in my personal experience, it's all going to be super sedating. Um, I normally go for the indicas with mm -hmm. the chibachus because it's determined based off of the thc content in it so you'll probably be getting a little more cbd if you get the indica and 
that's always nice in case you do get too high. So. Well, awesome. Hey, thanks, Dylan, for stopping by. I appreciate awesome. it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are just going to take a real quick break, and then we're going to jump into our uh, local music um, segment. And sports and, and weather. And sports and weather. Oh, my God, I forgot. Well, you can't not have weather. How could you forget weather? You're a meteorologist. I, mean, I know. That's what I majored in. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm your co-host, Gabe Peterson. My other co-host, Julia Badalise, is alongside me. Hello. (laughs) And we have Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter, joining us in studio now. Hey, Bjorn. Good to see you. And as well as our local music director, Haley Justino. How are you doing? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So we're actually going to move over right over to sports. Uh, Bjorn, take it away. Yeah, so I'll start off with the cross-country team. The CSU cross-country team will compete in the Mountain West Championships this weekend, held in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The men's team entered this meet ranked ninth nationally and are favorites to win the conference title. This would be their first ever title if they get the win. The Rams women's team is projected to finish fourth at the championship as they have finished fourth at the p- this meet the past three times. The Rams soccer team has their final game of the season this Friday after being eliminated from the playoffs this past weekend. They are poised to square off against Wyoming on Friday. CSU is 0-4 all-time against Wyoming, but the Rams may be catching the Cowgirls at the right time for their first result. Wyoming opened up the Mountain West season with three wins, a draw, and a loss in double overtime, but have dropped their last five matches since. If CSU can break through with a win on Friday, it will leave the Rams with a positive feeling heading into the long offseason. The CSU swimming and dive team opened their season this past weekend against the University of Denver. They ended up losing to the Pioneers but still gained some individual victories. Coach Christopher Woodward has high hopes for the teams this year as they look to climb the conference ranks. The next meet for the Rams is November 3rd when they host the University of Houston. The Rams football team is hosting Air Force this weekend at the on-campus stadium. Air Force has won their past two games but are still only 3-4, and four, while the Rams are on fire winning their past four games and are 6-2 and two on the season. The Rams are 16th in FBS in passing offense entering this contest with 310.8 yards per game through the air and 38th in rushing offense with 196.3 yards per contest. The all-time record in this matchup goes to Air Force as they have won 33 of the past contest, 33 of the contests compared to CSU's 21. The game is at 1 p.m. and will be broadcast on CBS Sports Network. That is the sports update for the week. Well, thank you very much, yeah. Bjorn. Uh, so the soccer girls or CSU soccer women's got eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah, they're done for the year. They got eliminated this past weekend. Aww. Yeah. Well, it's been a good year. Yeah, yeah, they yep. had a good year, and I think it's their. F- third or fourth year in existence oh so wow really really well oh yeah. wow cool that's awesome anyways yeah thank you born yep. um born born <laughs> jason born <laughs> yeah oh my god anyways uh we're gonna go into our uh our music segment with Haley justino you want to take it away Haley? absolutely so there's a handful of shows around town this uh halloween weekend if you're looking for something to do we have Friday tomorrow, the 27th, at the Aggie Gasoline Lollipops with Whippoorwill and Right Minded. Of course, um, well, not of course, possibly, but Gasoline Lollipops and Whippoorwill were both in studio this week. We had a great time hosting them, and they sounded great. So if you want to catch them live, that is at the Aggie uh, tomorrow night, the 27th, with Right Minded. Right Minded was just added to that bill, so it's going to be a great show. Also around town at Hody's, we have... Tomorrow night as well, the 27th, skinned with a flood foretold infacer emphasier and voracious souls and then also the 28th saturday night david ramirez we're not going anywhere with molly pardon and then on halloween itself at surfside seven we have halloween no doubt and white stripes so i believe they're a no doubt and white stripes cover band with senorita sometime and that's october of course 31st halloween itself that tuesday so there's a bunch of shows going around in town for those of you who maybe don't want to go to halloween parties or don't want to uh, go trick-or-treating i guess Crazy you can people. go yeah you can go see some live music because there's always great live music going around in fort collins 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, an option. That'd be fun. Yeah. and Maybe I'll, Did you say Dolly Parton or Molly Parton? No, um, Molly, Molly oh, Parton. Yeah, not unfortunately. Dang. No, that no is Dolly Parton. I would, I would spend my Halloween night listening to... Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> Jolene. The Jolene. I couldn't remember the name. Jolene. <laughs> Jolene. Anyways, thank you, Haley, of very course. much. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, now for our final and most important segment, The, the Weather. The most important. <laughs> the most I've important. I've been waiting all day. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so this is weather. Uh, right now it's currently 41 degrees. It looks like it's raining. Somebody it was, said it's snowing. Yeah, it was snowing out on the way over here. Was it really? Yeah. Okay, so it is snowing. Thank you yeah. very much for that. Oh, I should, no. I guess I should know that. I don't know. Um, anyway, so to, like I said, <laughs> uh, every week, uh, today's almost over, so I'll start with tomorrow. Uh, looks like it's going to be a high of 48, low of 32, so it's going to be a chilly day, uh, partly cloudy. Uh, Saturday is going to be a little warmer. It's going to be 62 degrees with a low of 39. Doesn't look like any precipitation that day, just kind of cloudy. Uh, so it's going to be kind of a cold little hall weekend. Uh, but Sunday, here we go. 70 degrees, sunny. Um, and Figure it's going it to be, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Figure it out, Colorado. Figure it out. And uh, I guess I'll give you Monday's little thing since our show's not till Tuesday. It's going to snow on Monday. <laughs> uh, right <laughs> so, before Halloween. Yeah. Oh, get ready. My. It always does, doesn't yeah, it? Looks, yeah, but yeah, Sunday should be good. Recover day, sunny, 70. It's going to be nice. Recover day. Yeah, you got to get ready for Monday and Tuesday, you know? Uh, um, but yeah, that's probably going to do it here for the Rocky Mountain Review. Yeah, so thank you, Haley Justino, for coming on, our local music director. Yeah, this, you're I was like, this is when you say thank you. Oh, thank you. I can't see you, so I was like, I need those nonverbal cues. <laughs> those there you go. Sorry, I'll do the finger guns. Thank you. Um, and then thank you, Bjorn Larson, yeah. our sports reporter, of course, for coming on. No problem. Thank you, J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. It always pleases me when you thank me. Oh, my God. God. You have so many problems. Oh, God. Um, and Gabe Peterson, my co-host. Um, yeah, thanks, I know Julie. how to say my co-host. My co-host. That's why I say my co-host. You're always Not like, my other. You're like, our other co-host. I'm like, yeah. oh, we have another one? Where? Yeah. Why aren't they doing any work? Um, <laughs> I got to study. Got to get it done. Um, and I am Julia Badalese, your other co-host. Uh, thank you again for listening to Rocky Mountain Review. We are on every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. Uh, you can catch us back here um, actually next Thursday. It'll yep. be a week from now yep. because uh, we got some got some conflictions on Tuesday, but we'll see you back on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Today we talked about Vicky Marble's response to a Cub Scouts question. We had a Puerto Rico update as well as our roundtable discussion on telecommunication, possible improvements in Fort Collins. Special thanks to our reporters, Bjorn Larson, J.D. Layton, Joe Green, Raven Color, Seth Bodine, and Will Bundy. Thanks to Dylan Simonson for his marijuana segment and Haley Justino for her music segment. Another thanks to Haley Candelario for joining us on Roundtable this week. This podcast was produced by myself, Julia Badalese, Joe Wood, and Gabe Peterson. You can find these podcasts and more on SoundCloud, iTunes, and KCSUFM.com.